You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about Mary, Jesus's mother. We hear a reflection on overcoming spiritual discouragement, and we hear a poem by Edmund Spencer, Easter, read by Richard Imbrand. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always. Father Steve. How are you, Father? I'm doing very, very well. Yeah. How's that? Just not very well. Very, very, very well. Because we are affected by not just the weather, mm-hmm. which is marvelous. It's been very nice. But we are recording during the octave of Easter because Christ is risen. He's oh. risen indeed. I'm going to make a mess here with holy water. No, just the water. <laughs> it's a meat Friday as well. It is a meat Friday. And uh, I'm, I'm debating what I'm going to have, but we won't talk about it right now. <laughs> well, I think it's good to just uh, recognize that because I think sometimes there's the misunderstanding that, that uh, we're only obliged to uh, abstain from meat during Lent. Well, good point. But there, that is actually extended throughout the whole year. It, the only difference is that in Lent, we don't get to substitute it. That's right. Through the rest of the year, we have the option to substitute it, but we still have to do some, some sort act of, of penance. Uh, but on a Meat Friday, you're free from any sort of penance. Because we're feasting. Mm-hmm. This is, again, every day within the octave is as if it were Easter Sunday. And I love that because it's almost the uh, comparison or the the mirror to the the Holy Triduum, which is these three days that are almost one day in the liturgy that we reflect on and enter into Christ's passion. And so then after that, we get eight days. As this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be every glad. Every day is Sunday. That's right. So it's a it's a feast day as if it was Easter Sunday. And the, the liturgy in the um, morning prayer and evening prayer, the Psalms are all taken from Easter Sunday and night prayer is taken from either evening prayer one of Sunday or evening prayer two of Sunday. So it we are really praying as if it were one day mm-hmm. spread over eight. And that's that's really something unique to the liturgical life of the church from which time is really in one sense broken because mm-hmm. you it can't control time is a creature and it can't contain the uncreated one and so What's, we start yeah, to yeah. stretch we have to stretch it to be able to try to fill him yeah i mean wouldn't it be horrible it. if just like after christmas there, it isn't there there isn't uh, uh, each of the days within the octave of christmas is not a solemnity but mm-hmm. because easter is our the resurrection is our highest feast each of these days is a solemnity, mm-hmm. um, but uh, the it's like throwing away your Christmas tree after the day after Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. No, 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 it's still Christmas. Yeah, and, basket it. And Easter, we have eight days of solemnity and then a whole season. Mm-hmm. So a week th- of weeks and then Pentecost. I think I've mentioned this before. If you go to the Holy Land, at each of the holy spots that commemorate some event in the life of Christ, you can actually celebrate the mass the of the day. Yeah, that's right. So it, you can celebrate Easter Sunday mass at the tomb of Christ every day 
the transfiguration. You can celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration every day because in the liturgy, we, in one sense, step out of time into the eternal mysteries. That's right. They're made so, present. That's right. Which, which is what we talked about last time. That was great conversation with Father Alexei. Yeah, I got to go to the, um, he had mentioned one of the prayer services, prayer liturgies they had was the uh, bridegroom matins. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I I actually went to that and I brought it, my son John Paul with me. Excellent. Absolutely beautiful. The chanting and the, um, the different, um, they connect parts of the Old Testament to Christ in ways that I hadn't reflected on before. Like there was one part where they talked about um, Joseph, uh, the son of, of um, Jacob, and how he was like Adam because when, uh, when the um, Egyptian princess tried to seduce him, and took his garment to try to uh, convict him because what he ran away saying, I will not, right, right, right. I will not sin. She took his garment and tried to go to the king and say, Joseph tried to violate me. So Joseph runs away naked, but unashamed because he did not sin. Adam was naked and ashamed because he sinned. And that's, and that's one of the, the, the points that the liturgy and, and, makes. And yet he was sent to prison. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, so, I mean, it, it, we it, could go off yeah, on that, we but could. anyways, uh, so th- all of that to say the Eastern, uh, tradition, both within the, uh, in communion with Rome, like the, the Melkites, um, and also the Eastern Orthodox, uh, who will have celebrated Easter a week after us in the West, uh, have insights and meditations upon the mysteries that really do complement yeah. those of us, those of ours in the West. Yeah, they make our experience of the faith richer. Um, I think I think one time I was talking to Father Alexei and he compared it to being cousins. Uh, you're all part of one family. Yeah. Um, and so you get to f- experience more of the family. When I, you're all I will say this, that uh, as much as I love the chant, I'm so glad that we can play the organ and mm. other instruments. Mm. They don't have that opportunity yeah. in the it, East. Yeah, especially um, uh, Easter Sunday. I mean, S- Easter Vigil. No, no brass. I mean, can yeah. you imagine? Yeah. Right? And, it does and we, it. It's just, just our different traditions. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's celebrate well. And uh, so we're, we're continuing. We had uh, men and women uh, enter the church, mm. two yeah. women baptized and then confirmed, and four others uh, three men and a woman who made their profession of faith and are now in the period of mystagogy. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk a little bit about mystagogy? Sure. So in the early, early church, um, the catechumens were not taught all of the theology um, regarding the faith. They were just given um, just a, a little bit just to make an act of faith, of instruction. But mainly their instruction was how to live the Christian life. And so they um, uh, spent time with the early Christians. They did works of mercy, things like that, um, but they weren't really given much instruction. Um, it was at, And so literally when they showed up for the Easter vigil, that was their first time ever at mass. Mm, yeah. um, so the mystagogy uh, for them was really kind of their instruction on the the deeper mysteries of the faith, the incarnation, the um, the Trinity, uh, what happens in the sacraments, etc. As time has developed, uh, we teach that stuff earlier, but 
in mystagogy, we, we kind of go back then to their experience of receiving the sacraments and reflect on the prayers of the liturgy. So what we'll do is we'll go back to the text of the Easter Vigil and we'll look at the service of light. And what were the prayers that were actually said? Because in the midst of the moment, sure. they're nervous, they're excited, they're distracted by their candle and whether or not it's burning correctly. And so we'll take the time and when, when all those distractions aren't there and we'll look at the prayers and we'll reflect on them together. Um, and we'll do the same for baptism, some of the readings that we heard during the Easter Vigil, the Eucharist, etc. So it's a time to reflect on the mysteries. So that's why we call it mystagogia. Yeah. And we'll do that until Pentecost. That's great. Well, we, uh, we've been treated uh, this week. Uh, we're recording again on Friday of the octave. Each of these mornings we have ha- been given in the Gospels one of the different resurrection accounts. Mm. And uh, uh, it's, it's a great gift to recall uh, the various ways that the Lord appeared, and, and this Sunday, which is the octave, will will and this will be something you'll recall from a week and a half ago, uh, the appearance uh, to the apostles on the night that Jesus uh, rose from the dead, and the gift of the sacrament of reconciliation, mm-hmm. and uh, then a week after that, eight days after that, uh, on the eighth day after that, rather, uh, the Lord appeared to Thomas and. Mm-hmm reconciled him, uh, well, just actually confirmed uh, his resurrection to him and invited him to stick his finger into his hands, his hands into his side. And we've been uh, reflecting on this. One of the things in my prayer in the mornings, uh, and every year I, I, I find myself marveling at this particular mystery that we don't have the answer to. You know, Luke's gospel gives us all kinds of insights into uh, the Annunciation and uh, the Visitation, all of those things. But what we do not have in recorded scripture is the appearance mm. to Jesus or of Jesus to Mary, his mother. Yeah. What must that have been like? Yeah. It's almost like it was too intimate. Yeah. It was too for her to be recorded. Yeah. Because you know he must have... Right, showed I mean, up to her. I mean, so when was it first? I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. Who have no idea. Yeah. But just as he says to to Mary Magdalene, Mary. Mm. I mean, and she she must in some mysterious way have have sensed his presence even before she she saw him. Yeah, because Mary doesn't uh, Mary the mother uh, doesn't show up in any of the Easter accounts. No, no. The first time she's mentioned after the crucifixion is at Pentecost. Exactly. And so what was going on then? You know, well, in the which, midst which of is, these... I, mean, I just can't wait to find out. But yeah. as I was meditating upon it, and I would just invite people to do that, we're getting close to May, which is Mary's month. And mm-hmm. we uh, it's a great uh, source of meditation to think about her, yes, and, and what, what that made possible to us. Yeah, because she participates in the whole act of redemption in a way that nobody else in the whole history of mankind does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not a quote-unquote official teaching that she's the co-redemptrix, but even Vatican II said that in, in the list of, of titles that Mary has, it listed co-redemptrix as one of the titles that people call her, uh, that she was a participant 
in the redemption, how that was, it's a mystery? Well, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I was just talking to a woman last evening who's pregnant, and uh, uh, she knew from her blood test that mm. it, she was pregnant with a boy, even though it wasn't long, far enough along to, to have the, the ultrasound to, to determine that, because some of the DNA in the, the blood is the baby's yeah. in her blood. Yeah. And so Jesus' blood was coursing through her mm-hmm. veins and this never ceases to amaze me. Whose blood exactly did he shed? Where did he get that if not from her? Yeah, right? he received all of his physical right. Right. DNA so, from so, her. So anyway, I, when I was away from the church and then came back, I'm embarrassed to say, but I'll freely admit it, that the Marian doctrines, the teachings about Mary were a point where I had to defer to the authority of the church. But Mm -hmm. now, the longer I've been a Catholic and, again, and uh, a priest, the more and more I love her and I'm so grateful for her, yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to living, taking Eve's test and never sinning. Right, mm-hmm. being full of grace, immaculate yeah. conception, uh, that, that that wasn't a given. Had I been immaculately conceived, mm, I'm sorry, I probably <laughs> I probably would have given in to the lies of the evil one, but yeah. she didn't. Yeah, and that, uh, I mean, that was a grace from the Lord, uh, but she also cooperated. It wasn't like she was prevented from possibly sinning, mm-hmm. although she was prevented from sinning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. yeah science. Uh, the more science like kind of examines the relationship between the baby and the mother, the more just amazing things uh, are astounding. Uh, for example, um, if the mother were to have any sort of cardiac event, a heart attack or whatever, the baby sends stem cells to her heart. What? To heal her heart. Yeah. Wow. Um, subsequent children that the woman would have all have the DNA of the child before. What do you mean? Like, uh, so if you're the first, like I'm the firstborn. Okay. And so some of my um, stem cells were left in my mother. And so when my brother was born, he was then exposed to that. Okay. And on a, So they're permanently left in the mother. So in one sense, Jesus's, some of Jesus's body was permanently left in Mary. So some people will like to look at that and go, well, of course, then she had to be assumed into heaven because if she would have decayed, then the body of the Lord would also have decayed. Interesting. So, so anyway, these, these, are, these are not these, teachings of the no, church. It's just interesting so, how so, science... And, and this is, I think, I think what the Lord does want us to realize is that we can wonder about things, which mm-hmm. is asking questions, but also being amazed, yeah. that wonder in both senses. And he doesn't reject our questions? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. He invites it. Yeah. And the more we come with faith, and not with a, uh, a, a blind faith, but a, a questioning and open, uh, docile faith, the more the Lord will draw us into the mm-hmm. mysteries. And we, we call Jesus the firstborn of the dead, but in one sense, Mary's the secondborn. Mm. Uh, you know, there's no there, there's a debate, theological debate, whether or not she died before her assumption, or if she, but just right. before she died, right. all uh, Pius the Twelfth wrote 
when he wrote his uh, document on the uh, assumption was when the time of her life was completed. Right. Because they didn't want to say anything definitive about that. We don't have any testimony. But you've got a male body in its glorified form and a female body in its glorified form in heaven. The hum- they, so in one sense, they are the, the prototypes of each in the glorified well, realm of heaven. Well, he is the new Adam. She mm-hmm. is the new Eve. Yeah. Uh, she's the mother of all the living, mm-hmm. right? Mother of all the redeemed. Yeah. And so, you know, we, as we enter into May, this is kind of our time of, yeah. of devotion to Our Lady. Um, you know, some, uh, some uh, Catholics are really like their, their mode of, of approaching God is really through Mary. Um, this is one of the things that John Paul II really emphasized. His papal motto was totus tuus um, Mariae, like um, totally yours, Mary, because he recognized that Christ came to the world through Mary and he continues to come to the world through Mary. Mary exists to introduce people to Christ. That's her whole mode of being. Uh, she does that right away after she conceives. She goes to Elizabeth and they have the visitation. And what does she do? She introduces Christ to John the Baptist and, and, uh, and Elizabeth. That's right. So this is something that Mary always does. She, we don't have to worry too much about loving her. Because we can't love her more than Jesus did. Well, and in the month of May, uh, we begin with uh, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, mm-hmm. and we conclude with uh, the Feast of the Visitation. Yeah. So it's, it's the Holy Family just yeah. brought close. And uh, we celebrate here in the U.S., uh, in the U.K., I know, the, I think Mother's Day is in March, but for us it is in the month of May, which is the month of Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year it will be on the 14th, and we will have our May crowning uh, the, the children's scola will sing at the May crowning and then also uh, lead the music at the mass at the 5 p.m. on uh, May 13th. So, so Saturday uh, evening. Saturday evening. And uh, the, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great uh, invitation for us to honor Mary, to bring flowers, uh, to present them to, uh, to her. We will have the first communicants there. They'll, they'll bring flowers. And then the eighth grade uh, for the school mm. will be a part of that May crowning. That's also the feast of Our Lady of Fatima. It is, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Our Lady appears to the three shepherd children in Portugal. And uh, really that, that whole, um, she comes every once a month mm-hmm. for five months. And uh, that's a really fascinating um, uh, appar- series of apparitions if you study it because she makes these predictions about World War II because this was uh, just as World War I was starting. Right. So she starts to make predictions about if the world doesn't convert, there's going to be another war. She, she's trying to warn the world um, to return back to worship of God. Well, and, and she, <clears throat> she makes clear uh, her requests to these children who were nobody in the eyes mm, of the oh, world, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, this desire to make reparations for the sins. And I think it's got to be more necessary in 2023 than it was in 1917. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you read the depictions of the children. They were they were nobodies in the eyes of the world, but they weren't particularly pious beforehand either. No, that's right. They used to 
do speed rosaries where they would just say Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary 10 times instead of actually saying yeah. the prayer. <laughs> they were human, right? <laughs> yeah. They were kids. But by the end, these yeah. kids, they're seven, eight years old. They're doing massive uh, penances and spending their days in prayer. They actually died because of the Spanish flu epidemic. Uh, or the the two youngest one, yeah. the, the oldest one lived till she was, um, I think, in her 90s. But right. um, they become totally on fire for the salvation of souls. After well, and I, I think that what we see is the fruit of uh, Mary's love for them. Mm-hmm. And she typically goes to places that are no place. Mm-hmm. She's not going to New York City no, yeah. or London. Yeah, uh, She did go to what is now Mexico City, mm-hmm. but when it was not Mexico City. Yeah, and it was just this little... So, yeah, little these places Indiana. of uh, the poor, the Magnificat is how she lives, continues to live through the church, yeah. lifting up the lowly and bringing down the mighty. And her humility, her yes, is a, a pattern for us. And one of the great graces of the rosary is we, we see in the rosaries... Uh, the, the mysteries, rather, of the rosary, the various moments in our lives. So there's joyful moments, there's moments of light, there's moments of tremendous sorrow and moments of glory, uh, resurrection and anticipated glory. And so wherever we are, we can meet our Lord and our Lady. Mm-hmm. And those mysteries, to see those mysteries from the aspect of a mother's heart of love for us and for the Lord uh, is really powerful. Yeah, and, and once again, like the rosary is Mary's prayer, but it's all about Jesus. That's right. Like every mystery is reflecting on exactly. either an event in his life or the effect of an event in his life. Exactly. Yeah. And so she's always pointing to her son. So every, every time we honor her, we are honoring her because she is the mother of the Redeemer. She's the mother of God, not the mother of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah, goes yeah. without saying, mm-hmm. but she's the mother of God, Jesus, who is God. Yeah. And, uh, every, yeah. every dogma that we have about Mary, there's four dogmas um, that she was immaculately conceived, that she's the mother of God. Um, and I'm going to blank on them right now. Um, that she was assumed into heaven. And what is the fourth? Um, ever virgin. Ever virgin. Um, each one of those is less about her and more the result of something we believe about Christ. Right. So even on the even on the teachings that we have on Mary is not for her glory or for she's glorified because Christ, her son is glorified. And so, um, yeah, I've said it a few times now. We can never be worried about loving her too much. Yeah, and and the there can be. Uh, Places where the the devotion to her seems to outstrip that of the Lord, but I I don't think that's a tremendous risk. In fact, I think if there is a risk in in modern Christianity, it's that we honor her too little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually I, I've rarely seen somebody that honors her too much, and like in, in, instead of honoring the Lord, I would well, say. And, it's, and I, I have to say that uh, you know true devotion. Uh, to Mary and the consecration. I, I sometimes worry uh, about the language of even some of the saints that says, I dare not talk to Jesus. I need to, to go through Mary. And I, I, I don't think mm-hmm. that that resonates with the sense we have about either our Lord or our lady. I can see how in a certain time 
that would be understood as a way to, to approach him through the mother. And that was traditional with royalty. You would go to the mother, she would appeal mm -hmm. uh, to, to the king. But our Lord is not one that we need fear. Yeah. Yeah, think, other than have fear of, in in sense of fear of the Lord. Yeah, I think you're you're right there. That sometimes these um, modes of expression are more about the time in which they, they lived. Were, they were written, exactly. You know, and they're yeah. reflective of that. And so um, um, we wouldn't necessarily express it the same way. Right. And I, what the Lord wants, and what Our Lady wants, is for us to know their love. And when I when I do healing prayer with people. I invite them to, to renounce judgments and lies and uh, to forgive those who have harmed them and then to, to go back to that memory and just invite Jesus and Mary to come and see what they say or do or show them. Mm -hmm. They're present, Yeah. right? If, if we have Jesus in us, that means we have Mary, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Right? Because th th there is no Jesus without Mary. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that we're incorporated into Christ, but we can't be incorporated into Christ unless she said yes to the angel. Yeah, we're the body of Christ. And the body of Christ comes from Mary. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, One last thing I'll share is um, when I was in seminary, I, I didn't have much devotion to Mary. Um, I don't know why. It just wasn't anything that I was ever particularly drawn to. And I had been speaking with a... a spiritual director about that. And ultimately he told me, stop worrying about it. Just ask her to reveal herself to you when she's ready. And, uh, and sure enough, it was the, the summer that I was discerning about leaving the seminary. And it was a very distressful time for me because my whole life was kind of getting, uh, who sure. I thought I was, is, was becoming not who I was. And uh, all of a sudden one day, I saw the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in a new way. Uh, for some reason, when I was a, when I was a, a little, little boy, I was, I, I was sick a lot and my mother used to hold me in the middle of the night and help me. I had breathing problems. Uh, and looking at Our Lady Guadalupe brought me back to those memories mm. of being held. Mm. And all of a sudden I found her and she revealed herself to me. So if devotion to Our Lady is something maybe you struggle with or you don't yeah, get, just ask her to reveal herself to you when she's ready and she will. So with that, I think we should wrap it up. Uh, yeah. May is the month of Mary. And have a, have a blessed month of May. And I want to just thank in advance all mothers mm -hmm. for the gift of your yes. Uh, none of us would be here without you. And uh, none of us would be saved without Mary. Mm -hmm. So we're indebted to her and to all mothers. All right. Well, for one more week, this is Rich. God bless. And Father Steve, God bless you. As we progress along the road to holiness, we can encounter obstacles that can hamper us from moving on. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we delve into Venerable Bruno Lanteri's advice about how to deal with spiritual discouragement. Overcoming Spiritual Discouragement God has created each one of us for himself. He has loved us into being and will not rest until we are with him in paradise. The Lord pours out blessings on his beloved children even while we are in this world. And there may be many joys in this life. There may be peace and contentment 
there may be satisfaction. But there are also many times when we may experience frustration, despondency, anger, futility and loneliness. What this tells us is that this is not heaven and that our homeland lies elsewhere. We are pilgrims in this fallen world and we will have a sense of restlessness and dissatisfaction until we reach our heavenly home. If we are serious about the spiritual life, if we are steadfast in our pursuit of the Lord and his kingdom, we are bound to experience spiritual discouragement from time to time. One of the things that causes that discouragement is our own sin. Our faults and failings can often seem to cling to us and there's nothing we can do to get rid of them. And that can be a source of spiritual desolation for us. We want to be good, we want to be holy, but we know that we are flawed and sinful and our path forward in the spiritual life is full of obstacles. Another source of despondency is a lack of hope in our eternal reward. Perhaps we doubt that God will accept our puny efforts to remain virtuous in this life and will reject us when our life is over. Or perhaps we just find it difficult to keep going in the spiritual life. Or maybe we find ourselves surrounded by the lures of the world, the flesh and the devil and find it difficult to resist those temptations. And yet God is not daunted by our weakness or by our sin. We need to remember in times of discouragement that God is loving and compassionate and that he extends mercy towards us. His love is unconditional. That means there is nothing that we need to do in order to gain his love or keep it. He does not demand of us what we cannot give and he will not allow us to be tested beyond what we can bear. So how do we deal with situations where we find ourselves discouraged as we try to navigate the spiritual life. Father Timothy Gallagher, in his book, Overcoming Spiritual Discouragement, outlines the strategy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, the founder of Oblates of the Virgin Mary. The main lesson that comes out of Venerable Bruno's writings are that we should guard against spiritual discouragement and immediately combat its effects by turning to God for help. Here's what he says. Say then with boldness, now I begin, and go forward constantly in God's service. Do not look back so often, because one who looks back cannot run. And do not be content to begin only for this year. Begin every day, because it is for every day, even every hour of the day, that the Lord has taught us to say in the Our Father, forgive us our trespasses, and give us this day our daily bread. This kind of response to spiritual desolation goes against our instincts. Our instincts may be one of two possible kinds. We may feel that all we want to do is throw up our hands and give up. We may be weary of the effort involved in leading a good life, loving God and loving our neighbour. We may feel discouraged or lacking in hope because the future seems bleak and stretches before us without much consolation or relief. On the other hand, we might instead want to give ourselves a shake and try to force ourselves to be cheerful. We might try to seize the day, as it were, 
and do everything in our power to combat the discouragement. Both of these responses are of limited or even negligible value. If we read Lanteri's words carefully, he is not telling us either to give up or to take matters into our own hands. What he tells us is not to dwell in the despondency, but to make a new start immediately, in fact, every hour if need be. But the new start is not to be made in our own power and through our own efforts. Instead, he says, go forward constantly in God's service. It is God that gives us the power to overcome spiritual discouragement, not our own efforts alone. In this context, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are really asking God for the strength to overcome despondency and discouragement and desolation. Most of the time when we experience discouragement, it's because we have developed an inaccurate picture of reality. The reality is that God is in control of our lives. He is protecting us and we are precious to him. He has won the victory over sin and death and nothing can separate us from his love. It's the work of our enemy, the devil, that discourages us and makes us believe lies about the nature of our life under God. So it's good in times of desolation to remind ourselves of the truth about the goodness and love of God, our status as beloved children of our Heavenly Father, God's mercy, the joy that awaits us in heaven and the grace that is available to us as we go through life. Venerable Bruno Lanteri also advises us to have a cheerful disposition even if we feel nothing of the joy of the kingdom of God. He tells us that if we should fall into sin, we should not persist in it but repent immediately, firmly convinced that God forgives you as soon as you turn to him and seek forgiveness. He also warns against dwelling on the past or looking too much towards the future. Those kinds of thoughts lead either to a kind of leaden remorse for past sins or to an anxiety about what will come at us down the road. It's true that we are sinful and may fall multiple times per day. In a certain sense, we should not be surprised, shocked or depressed by our weakness, but expect it. However, God's love is not conditional on our sanctity, and so we should remain steadfast and cheerful even in the midst of repeated failings on our part. As St. Teresa of Avila urges, let nothing disturb you, not even our failings. Discouragement in the spiritual life can be a dangerous condition to fall into because it can lead to negligence and ultimately to giving up and straying away from the Lord. That's why it's a good idea to resist it as much as possible. Patience and perseverance are the chief virtues we need in order to combat discouragement. We should be patient with ourselves and simply keep on trying. That's how we eventually win the prize of eternal life and come into consolation and begin to experience the sweetness of the Lord's presence in our life. Arriving at a condition of holiness, as Venerable Bruno Lanteri reminds us, takes longer than 24 hours. Paradoxically, he sees holiness not as a matter simply of trying hard to avoid sin and do good, 
but rather being aware of our weakness and trusting in the mercy of God. After all, it's only God who can work the miracle in us and make us holy, provided we are open, willing and persevere. Let's pray for the grace to be open to the Lord, to resist discouragement and to trust in the Lord. Heavenly Father, you see how weak I am, how I struggle and am easily discouraged on the path that you have laid out for me. Give me the grace to trust in your mercy. Give me the strength to resist despondency and to begin again as soon as I fall. Help me to humble myself before you, recognise my weakness and lean into your strength so that in the end I may attain the holiness that you want me to have and in the end come to live with you forever in heaven. Amen. finish this episode with a poem by Edmund Spencer, Easter, read by Richard Imprint. Edmund Spencer was an English poet who is recognized as one of the premier craftsmen of emerging modern English verse and is often considered one of the greatest poets in the English language. He was born in East Smithfield, London, around the year 1552. Spencer's masterpiece is the epic poem, The Fairy Queen, an allegorical work which can be read, as Spencer presumably intended, on several levels of allegory, including as praise of Queen Elizabeth I. Spencer also published numerous relatively short poems in the last decade of the 16th century, almost all of which are about love or sorrow. In July 1580, Spencer went to Ireland in service of the newly appointed Lord Deputy, Arthur Gray. He served under Lord Grey with Sir Walter Raleigh at the Siege of Smerwick Massacre. When Lord Grey was recalled to England, Spencer stayed on in Ireland, having acquired other official posts and lands in the Munster Plantation. There he acquired further lands and settled down for a number of years, but was forced to return to England after being driven from his home by the native Irish forces of Hugh O'Neill. He died in 1599 at the age of 46. Spencer used a distinctive verse form called the Spencerian stanza in several works. The stanza's main meter is iambic pentameter with a final line in iambic hexameter, that is, a line with six feet or stresses, known as an alexandrine. He also used his own rhyme scheme for the sonnet. In the following sonnet, the poet addresses a prayer to Christ the risen Lord asking that we may participate in the joy of the resurrection, and he exhorts the reader to brotherly love as the Lord commanded us. Easter by Edmund Spencer. Most glorious Lord of life, that on this day didst make thy triumph over death and sin, and having harrowed hell, didst bring away captivity thence captive, us to win. This joyous day, dear Lord, with joy begin and grant that we, for whom thou didst die, being with thy dear blood clean, washed from sin, may live forever in felicity. And that thy love, we, weighing worthily, may likewise love thee for the same again. And for thy sake, that all like dear didst buy, with love may one another entertain. So let us love, dear love, like as we ought. 
Love is the lesson which the Lord us taught. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.